Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome to a very special honeymoon edition episode of the Raw Safari podcast. That's right, y'all. This is a Tuesday interview episode, and it is being released while I am on my honeymoon. So guess what? I'm recording this part super early, and I haven't edited the episode yet, so I'm not even going to talk about the episode. I'm totally going to cheat. And then on the plane to San Diego, I'm going to edit the interview and drop it in here. And it's going to totally seem like I did this this week while, uh, you know, I was actually on a honeymoon not doing this. But y'all are still getting new and great content. Um, in fact, this this episode, I do know what interview I'm going to be doing here, and um, it's a really special one, y'all. Uh, Uh, we go deep. So uh, I want to tell you the story about this. Um, I was at the AZA annual conference, as you all know, and um, I was hanging out with my good friend Katie Prop, and she insisted that I needed to meet this gentleman named Clay. And Clay was very, very busy. So uh, I spoke to his wife and uh, and said, hey, maybe y'all would like to be on the podcast. And, And she looked at me and said, well, maybe Clay would like to be on the podcast. And um, you'll you'll hear a little bit more about that when you uh, when you get into the episode. But suffice to say, Clay was really excited. And later that night emailed me and said that he was sorry for missing me. He was just busy catching up with people and he would love to do an episode right then and there. Amazing. We were at this insane all day, all night conference. And let's just find a way to do an episode? Question mark. Yes. We did. In fact, we went to one of the hotels that was uh, where people were staying for the conference, and we found a kind of little private room that we had to go through a few steps to get unlocked for us. It was it was what we call a journey. Um, but Clay and I were actually able to bond laughing over that and uh, and head on in and do this interview. And um, y'all, we go deep. Clay has a really cool YouTube series that we're going to talk about, uh, but also. Clay was at SeaWorld during the Blackfish controversy. And I have been waiting for a long time to get someone on here who could talk openly about their experience with Blackfish. And oh boy, do we. This one goes deep, y'all. How deep? Well, as a matter of fact, um, Clay and I both tear up a little bit on this episode. You're going to hear some real emotions out of the both of us. And I'm, I'm really excited to share that with y'all. Um, and oh, in case you're wondering, uh, I mentioned Clay's wife earlier. So, um, they're married, they're adorable, they're wonderful, and they work together at the zoo. Uh, and Clay and I discuss what that is like, uh, in a special section that, uh, is the patron bonus audio for this week. So if you are a patron of the Ross Safari podcast, you can hear that amazing, uh, interview segment and and learn what it's like to work with your partner at a high stress gig like working at a zoo 
So you can head to patreon.com slash rossafari to uh, find out how to get that and other bonus audio from other episodes. Also, real quick, make sure you're following along at Rossafari on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. And um, you can always hit up rossafari.com for some really cool merch from the show. And that's enough plugging away. So uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Clay Carbajal. All right, so we'll start off with the age-old question of, please tell me who you are, uh, where you work, and what you do there. I have no idea who I am. <laughs> I'm still figuring that out myself, so that's, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Clay Carbohall, and I am at the Abilene Zoo in Abilene, Texas, and I'm the supervisor of communications and conservation, but that really doesn't tell you what I do at the zoo. I'm, uh, I actually supervise our animal ambassador team our conservation fund, our marketing department, our social media department, our communications department, and our animal behavior initiatives. Is that all? I think so. I okay. hope so. Okay. So you're the only person that works at the Abilene Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> we have a wonderful group of people that I get to collaborate with, but on the marketing side, yes, I'm the only person that works on Okay. That. Fair, fair. So um, I'm curious. I have played everywhere in Texas, I, I thought. Yeah. I've played towns that I've never heard of in Texas. Yeah. I remember one year... Uh, I started a tour in Florida and then went to Texas and was in both places for so long that I spent more nights in each of those states than in my home state of Pennsylvania <laughs> until like April of that year. And I have never been to Abilene. Where is it? And is this a real place or are we making this up? I'm hoping it's a real place. Not, I've been <laughs> lied to. Um, so Abilene is actually two and a half hours to the west of Fort Worth. Okay. Down I-20, which I'm sure you probably drove down. There's no way you didn't get on I-20. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. totally, yeah. So yeah. you go from Fort Worth down to I-20, and you get you hit Abilene. Now, if you're coming from the north, you'd be from Lubbock down south. If you're coming from the west, El Paso up 20. If you're coming from San Antonio, you would get on a beautiful little hill country highway and cut through Junction. So we're kind of in the middle of everything. I've literally played every city you just said. Not I mean, every city. But you missed <laughs> Abilene. Yes, but every one that you were just saying, if you're coming, even Lubbock, we've been there, you know, obviously. But you had Holly to have driven. Yeah, no, I'm, I guarantee you that I did. Well, I sit on a bus, so yes, I get else. driven through and don't pay no attention half the time. You know? <laughs> we was, have 250 miles between each zoological facility in Abilene. Uh, so we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. A little, I call it the... Uh, I've called it the best little zoo in Texas, but nice. uh, it, it, <laughs> I get that reference. <laughs> I, I also, I also call it the, uh, the, uh, the, where the wild meets West Texas is where the Abilene zoo is. Nice. All right, cool. Very good. So I am coming into this, uh, for my listeners Clay and I met at the AZA conference mm -hmm. and, uh, he was too busy talking to someone else. So I actually <laughs> spoke to his lovely wife, but then we connected. Um, we've barely spoken. I know nothing about the Abilene zoo. I've done even less research than usual. So Tell me about your zoo. So the Abilene Zoo is a small zoo compared to Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas. Um, Abilene Zoo is 16 acres. Okay. It, it houses just under 800 animals um, from different taxa, different species. Uh, our most notable is we have a, a giraffe herd of 10 uh, right. giraffe. And then we have a big, the world's largest dog. His name is Macho, and he's a southern black rhino. He's a wonderful <laughs> creature. Um, of course, and a 68-year-old American alligator, 110-year-old uh, alligator snapping turtle. Oh, nice. Some of our big icons uh, in the zoo, jaguar, capybara. There's, we have quite a few animals, but we are a smaller zoo. It opened in 1966, but I got some breaking news for your listeners. Uh, we're growing the zoo over the next 10 years, so I hope you, if you haven't been to Abilene, you will soon. Uh, it's going to go from 16 to just over 60 acres Whoa. In, in the next 10 years or so. 
Okay, that is by far the biggest growth I've heard of. Because I, I I have a secret love. It's not secret. They all know this. Uh, of, of small zoos. Yeah. Uh, big zoos are amazing and have these incredible opportunities. But like Elmwood Park Zoo in Norristown is like my heart zoo. I, just, yeah. I love it there, you know? And and that's insane. That's so much. That's just like tripling in size plus. That's, it is. And it's going to be a lot. You know, we're going to go un, untraditional habitats. So multi-species spaces, large, wide open spaces, interactive spaces. That's where we're going for, and you're going to get a lot of acreage. And the zoo's been sitting on this land that we have to expand on since 1966. So I'm excited. Uh, you know, I moved to the Abilene Zoo. I know we'll get into that story a little bit later, but it's uh, it's been a nice transition to go from my old former career to a terrestrial career, I guess you could say. Okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah, we'll definitely touch on all of that for <laughs> sure. Um, but wow, congrats for starters. Yeah. And um, does the master plan, like, do you know what kind of animals you're bringing in? Yes. Or like, what's your strategy going to be? Yeah, so the strategy is definitely um, really innovative habitat design is where we're focusing on and um, guest experience with animal well-being in mind so that they feel like they're part of the habitat. Uh, when it comes to new species, uh, we'll be adding to our collection cheetah, pygmy hippopotamus, nice. African penguin, um, many, a myriad species of, of hoofstock, um, meerkats, um, and then enhancing current exhibits. That rhino I just spoke about, his habitat's going to triple in size. Nice. Um, our lion pride uh, will get a quadruple in size habitat um, with brand new abilities to hide. And uh, we're getting acacia trees planted in there and baobab, Ooh. and it's going to look really pretty. Um, full-size train for people to ride, a boardwalk for you to walk upon. And if all goes to plan, we will have uh, probably about a 15-acre field full of American bison and pronghorn antelope to give you the American plains surrounded by a natural wetland system that will hopefully purify the city lake that we're surrounded by. (laughs) That's incredible. That's our goal. Awesome. Yeah, and we know things happen. We all know things happen. But, I mean – you know, dream big, go for yeah. it. That's Addi- so additionally, cool. additionally, we're going to try to bring in our, we have a bird rehab. We've had it for years. One of three zoos in Texas that has their own rehab. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah, we have our own bird rehab. So we're going to bring that into the zoo. Right now it's off zoo. I mm-hmm. mean, it's uh, on the outskirts of the zoo. The public can't see it. Um, we're going to bring that into the zoo. So you see rehab happening. You see rescue happening. And you can follow those stories and see them back in the wild. That's our goal. That's awesome. And those are my favorite things. I still... I don't think I've ever had a more taken aback moment than when I walked into South Carolina Aquarium yeah. and saw the sea turtle rehab right there. And not only, you know, they have the the stories about the turtles and everything there. And it just, I, I can spend all day there. I don't even need to go into the actual aquarium part because the rehab stuff's so beautiful. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's really cool. That's when it, once it pulls your heartstrings, you want to see it again. Yeah. And you want to be invested in that animal success. And, and that's what we're here to do, right? In the zoo world, we're here to inspire the conservation of species abroad and to really strengthen the thrive uh, and well-being of the animals in our care. Absolutely. And that's been a big focus of the conference mm-hmm. this year too. Sure has. Which is it's really cool to see. I love being here. I'm sure I'm sure you're an old salt, but as a rookie, I uh <laughs> No, I've actually never been to a conference. Oh wow. All right. You're I, a rookie I, too. I, I, someone, All right. someone usually comes instead of me. This Interesting. time I got my number pulled and <laughs> I can see a lot of my old friends around here, which is great. I think that's why you and I couldn't connect the initial first time because someone was talking my ear off. Right, right. We'll call him out, but he has his own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm curious. Um, you know, you mentioned that you guys are getting African penguins. Yes. Was that um, actually part of the plan originally, or did Katie Prop of Penguins International, who everyone on this podcast <laughs> knows really well, just talk you into that? Tell me uh, the truth. Katie, <laughs> I'm sure she did subliminally. No. Uh, <laughs> I think I think if we had Katie, I probably could have got more species of penguin. <laughs> um, but we're, yeah, we're West Texas, so we're looking for something that can 
can be in the heat a little bit. Um, it doesn't need that that for refrigeration, but Katie is definitely a resource that I'm going to use. I think there's not been a day at the conference where I haven't had a moment with her at least. Oh yeah, no, we've been hanging out a lot. Yeah, yeah. so that's been it's been very cool. But uh, yeah, all right, very cool. So let's move away from Abilene for a second and just kind of discuss you. Okay. Like when you were coming up, did you want to work with animals, and and how did you get into this field? So that's a fun story. So I am I'm a people can't see it's a podcast, but I'm an <laughs> inner city. San Antonio, Texas kid, Hispanic American, you know, that you don't really see us really uh, in zoos too heavily in, in the mm-hmm. South. Um, so growing up, I went to a little tiny facility called SeaWorld San Antonio. Not a lot of people have heard of it, I don't think. <laughs> um, but at about age four, um, it's the first time I, I can remember witnessing the whales. It, uh, now that park opened uh, about nine months after I was born. So I was going there my entire life. But at four, I, can, I get the recollection of seeing the whales for the first time. Age seven, I had to do it. Like that was the career. I wanted to work with killer whales, orcas, killer whales, whatever you want to call them. Back then I just called them Shamu. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to work with killer whales. The, the, the relationship between the people was amazing to me. Like you can go to work and that giant thing is your friend. Like that was such a cool moment. As I got older, people say, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a drummer. I want to and, and sometimes, let's be honest, your dreams fade. Mm-hmm. You turn into an accountant or a doctor or a hedge fund manager. I would not, for the life of me, let it go. Um, and I'm in high school. I'm a junior in high school. And I see a, a posting out in these days. It wasn't an online job posting. Um, it was on a cork board. SeaWorld now hiring. <laughs> and a friend of mine leaned over and she's like, hey, we can get summer jobs coming out of our junior year going into our senior year. We can get summer jobs and uh, and makes a little money. I was like, okay, can you drive? Yeah, I've been able to drive. We drive to SeaWorld, go to the HR department, and on their cork board is a laundry list of positions open for the summer. And she selects photographer, you know, at the end of the ride. I see show host. And I go, oh, my gosh. I'm a big fan of Jungle Jack, Hannah. I can host my own show. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> So I apply for show host, and lo and behold, I don't even need to audition. I get the job. How did what? How? Wait, well, what? I, how? It, it gets, it, <laughs> it's ama- It's an amazing story. And I'm, I'm I get the I get the show host job. I go home. I tell my mom I'm going to be a show host. This is amazing. I tell my grandparents like I'm over the moon. A couple of days later is orientation, or I should say a week later is orientation. I go into orientation. And I see that I'm making five fifty an hour, and I was like, "What kind of show is this?" You know? <laughs> but maybe it, maybe I get like tips. That's what I'm thinking. All right, right. I sit down, and as I'm sitting down, they come and they hand me a broom and a pan, and I'm thinking, <laughs> "Is this a show like Stomp? Like, what am I in?" I then learn very quickly that the word show host means. You sweep up and clean after the show is over. No. And you assist people. <laughs> oh, that is that is wildly unfortunate. <laughs> you assist people to their chairs. Oh. When they told me I got show host initially, they said you're gonna be the show host at Shamu Stadium. And I thought, oh my god, I'm hosting the Killer Whale show. <laughs> so that is what I told my parents and my right, mom. Right, right. My grandparents. Right. Um Turns out I was working at Shamu Stadium, but it was picking up wet popcorn and soiled cotton candy in the heat in these weird thick shirts and blue khakis. And so that was my first six months at SeaWorld. But as I was doing that, I got to watch every Killer Whale show. Sure. I asked the trainers questions about what it, what I could do to become that. And I got a little rambunctious. I'd have fun with the crowd. 
And there was a trainer by the name of Katie. She sat me down and I'm 15, going on 16 at the point. And she said, you're never going to be a trainer if you don't start getting it together. Like this is not the path you need to be on to be a trainer. So you need to go to college and she, you know, do, do the biology thing, become a good swimmer. The thing we tell everybody. And that kind of hit me hard. Like, I was hoping to use my foot in the door. I thought I was going to go from trash picker upper to <laughs> killer oil trainer. So uh, opportunity arose to move from that position into a position where I did tours and camps, which I love. I love zoo educators. I am a zoo educator. My wife is currently the director of education for the Abilene Zoo. Like we are an education family. I did that for two and a half years until this girl I was dating, who's now my wife, and I were up for the next leadership spots. And they basically told us, one of you can apply and the other one has to go because you can't be dating and doing this. Oh, okay. So I looked at her and I said, I think you'd be a better leader than me. So I'm going to go. And I thought my career was over. But there was a position for three months open in the animal ambassador team. You, you know animal ambassador teams? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. great. The that SeaWorld kind of pioneered that back in the day. So I joined the animal ambassador team. I took a pay cut from where I'd moved up as an educator to work and scoop python poop, uh, to clean up lemur poop, to get backpacks for trips ready. I mean, the gruntiest of grunt work. And when I started that job, they told me, you have this, you're going to be on a three-month seasonal position. And that was hard because I needed work. Right, yeah. I was, you know, I, at that point, I'd already graduated high school. I'm in college, so I need the work. Anyway, uh, I do it for three months. And here's where, here's where fate just takes over, John. This is where the world just, like, flips on me. Uh, there's starting a show called Creepy Creatures at SeaWorld San Antonio, Halloween show. And it's an animal show in the old 4D theater. So as they're talking about lemurs and they talk about pooping from the, the treetops, they would drop water on the guests. <laughs> if they're talking about Madagascar hissing cockroaches, they blow air in the people's face. Sure, sure. I went to my leadership and I said, I want to do that show. I can host that show. And they said, he can't. <laughs> You're this new kid. You're not going to, we don't even know what you can do. So they didn't let me, they, they got the, the senior team to be able to do it, but I learned the script at home. Like I was obsessed about this. I thought this was my in something kept telling me this is your in. Uh, and I, I was working my butt off and my leadership said, you know what? How about for a congratulations, you go and you watch a rehearsal. There are closed rehearsals. You can go watch a rehearsal. And I was sitting in the audience and I was like mouthing the words, everything they'd say something. <laughs> and the main host who is our, my coworker, much senior level coworker. Uh, was like, I'm not getting the, I remember him yelling out loud to the, the entertainment people. I'm not feeling the character of the script here. I, I feel like I just need to watch someone do it. And the entertainment guy was like, well, he's been back here mouthing every line. <laughs> oh. Do you want to get on stage and, and do it um, so that he can watch and get some ideas? Like, yes, please. Ran on stage. I go through the run. We, it's like nine animals per, per show. I go through the run. At the end of that run, everyone huddles but me. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I bombed. And uh, they huddle up. And at the end of the huddle, the guy who is the senior trainer goes, I'm resigning from hosting the show. He's much better than me. <laughs> That's incredible. Incredible. He's still a great friend of mine today. Robert Trejo, the executive director of Zoom Imagination now in San Antonio. Um, he understood that this was not for him, that I should do it. The entertainment people usually weren't as wavering. They agreed that I should do it. Amazing. And my position went from a three month. Now I got extended another three months. So I'm in six months. We do the show. We have higher ratings in every Halloween show that year. Nice. There's a line wrapped around the park to see our show. It was incredible. 
And that is the moment that my career at SeaWorld really solidified. And I rode that for another, on top of what I'd done, about another 15 years. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about SeaWorld on the podcast a lot. Obviously, there's some controversy. There's yeah, a, a I lived through film. it. I yeah, lived okay. through it. But, but, you know, as much or as little as you'd like to say about it, but I'm a huge supporter. Yeah. I just want to say that out front, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you have any thoughts on any of that that you want to share, I would love to hear that. You yeah. Know? I mean, I can give some insight. You know, I'm not in there anymore, so I can talk a little more about it. But, um when black, I'll say the name of the film. I don't care. No, yeah, and okay, I, call, and I call it a film, not a documentary. Yes, it's not a documentary. No, it has been widely disproved. And yeah, if, if people gross. think that's a documentary, I'm sorry to disappoint you. It is a movie. Um, so when that film came out, we had a meeting about what was going to happen. That they they had screened this film. That um, the filmmakers wanted to include SeaWorld in the film for comment. And when SeaWorld commented, the filmmakers would refuse to use the comments because they kind of stirred away from the agenda. So a lot of people don't understand that. SeaWorld did give comment. The filmmakers did not want to use it. Right. That's number one. Number two, we asked, well, how is this going to affect us? And I'll never forget the leadership going, it's not. This is so, I can remember vividly them saying, this is so absurd. No one's going to believe this. Because it was so absurd. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. They didn't think that people would believe it. So I always describe that moment in time as we overestimated the education levels of the people watching it. Sure. And I hate to say that, but it's true. We mm-hmm. thought people would know better. Right. And they didn't. Um, they took it hook, line, and sinker. Uh, I also think SeaWorld messed up by not talking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, we just hoped it would go away. Right. And it didn't go away. Um, so I think they could have had a quicker PR response to it, um, got ahead of it, but we didn't think it was going to be a thing. Uh, I will say this, I will vouch, I don't even work for SeaWorld anymore, uh, but I never, ever, ever, and I worked around the killer whales, I worked around the belugas and the dolphins, I worked with the dolphins, I worked with the sea lions, I did all that stuff, I never saw anything that made me go, ooh, boy. Now, do I think they should live in 20, 25 million gallon pools? Definitely. Is it engineeringly possible in any facility not currently doesn't mean it can't be i think i think standards could be improved but i say that about my own house right right i would love my house to be bigger and and more awesome but it isn't um do i think that those trainers ever did anything maliciously to the whales i do not um do i think that parts of animal care um doesn't matter the species parts of animal care are hard to watch if you don't understand what's happening if I go to dart a main wolf to pull a tooth, if you just watch that with no education, it looks ugly. Same thing with a cetacean. If I have to go check their throat or do something with their teeth, there has to be safety precautions in place so they can't bite down on you. Uh, I remember that from this thing. But let me just, my, my little nail in the coffin on Blackfish before I move on is I knew the movie was, which by the way, I happily pirated on, on, <laughs> online. I'm not going to deny that. Um, I broke the law. Come and get me. Um, the opening montage, and they have a uh, one of the killer whales at the glass with the mouth open, and they're talking about it, the calf being pulled away, and which did not happen until the calf was an adult. Anyways, besides the point, the mouth opens, and they have this terrible scream, and it makes you look at it and go, oh, that whale's crying. They don't vocalize through their mouth. They vocalize through their blow. Right, right. And 
all those things were just perfectly edited. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've said publicly a few times, I believe the people in Blackfish got robbed at the Oscars for not getting nominated. They should have been nominated for editing because it was a work of art when it came to editing. Absolutely. And um, I, I know I've, I've heard other people that were interviewed on, you know, and so that said that they, their audio was cut up so much that, you know, um, yeah, they, they've come out against like literally hearing their own sentences and being like, nope, not what I said, which is astonishing that you can do that and gives me lots of power as a podcaster. <laughs> He's going to cut up everything I just said. But what's interesting is I think if I learned anything, it's, I have three kids now. It's like, you have to create critical thinkers, mm-hmm. people that'll ask a question. Um, I think SeaWorld's changes. I don't agree with, I think we should still be, they should still be, um, breeding killer whales, uh, simply for the scientific purpose of uh, what are plastics transferring through the mother's milk with the food that they're eating? What's the life cycles? How can we help? You see so many stories now of emaciated killer whales off the coast or, um, years and years and years of pods, not having babies. Mm -hmm. People blame the Southern resident killer whale population on SeaWorld, uh, collecting them in the sixties. That population rebounded by 1995 at the highest numbers and then tanked. Yes, it also coincided with more chemical runoff uh, from local companies. So I think we really have to critically look at what's happening in the wild. And if we don't have a subset of zoological animals to study that with, you can't protect the species. And when people say you can, I give you the vaquita. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you know, we've not really talked much about that on this podcast. I, I, I have in Zoo News a little bit, but if you want to give a quick- I'd you love know, to, yeah. yeah. So there's a perfect example of a cetacean not in human care. Vaquita live only in the Sea of Cortez, which is that little tiny strip of water between Baja Mexico Peninsula and proper Mexico. Um, when I started talking about vaquita, there were 66 of them. Today, there are roughly 18 vaquita. And that number fluctuates all the time. It goes down to 10, goes up to 24. They don't really know. Right. Uh, they can't get the gill net problem for Mexican fishermen under wraps. They tried to collect them all to breed them. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of organizations, including SeaWorld and uh, different aquariums, tried to get them all into a sea pen in Mexico to protect them and breed them. They only ever caught up with one that they could find. <laughs> uh, and for that animal safety, they released it back out in the wild to be with its friends because they couldn't get the other one. Right. So wow. the vaquita will be, I promise you this, it will be extinct in the next 10 years or so, gone from the planet. And there's no aquarium, there's no zoological institution that can even research a way to collect samples to even keep its biological data viable right. for reintroduction. So we need aquariums. Mm. We need accredited aquariums. We need accredited zoos to continue to do this. And if you keep coming after the people that are doing the good work, you will live in a world where all your complaints have been met and there is no wildlife to be observed because the people that are doing the work are the zoological folks. The people complaining about the work are the people behind a keyboard and they're not doing it. Um, and that's what I have to say about that. But absolutely, please well, go to savethevikita.org um, and check it out. Uh, even Leonardo DiCaprio and his organization is throwing some money towards trying to get the gillnets out of the water. But I personally feel, this is just me, that it's it's too late. No, I totally get that. And and I agree, obviously. Um, although, you know, it is nice to know that for the few vaquita that remain, that they're out in the wild, in the pristine 
beautiful water where there's no plastic and no waste and no tra- This is the other thing that I always get fed up with when I hear this stuff is people talk about the wild as though the wild exists as some pristine, beautiful thing. It does and not. It just does not. Humans suck. <laughs> we do. By we the way, do. the vaquita, I should tell you, the vaquita is about three feet long. At, at full length. So it's a very tiny, tiny cetacean. Yeah. And you're right. Sea of Cortez is riddled with pollution. Um, the water levels are, are disgusting for these animals. And the fish aren't there because of overfishing. So if you, if you do want to complain about zoos and aquariums and complain about SeaWorld, and if you believe blackfish, I can't help you. If you don't critically think and look at, at the good that's happened. What other organizations donated millions of dollars to killer whale conservation? There's not one. Nope. So you take SeaWorld out of the equation. And I, here's one last thing I want to say on this because it is something that bothers me. We'll put them in a sea pen. Okay, great. Who's going to pay for that? Right. Who's going to maintain that? Mm-hmm. And I'm almost going to guess that to maintain a sea pen full of the retired killer whales, you're probably going to want to open it to the public, yep. aren't you? And then you're probably going to want to do husbandry presentations, i.e. shows, to keep the public <laughs> happy while they're there. And then you're probably going to have a gift shop at the whale sanctuary. So what's the difference? Yeah. Oh, well, it's in the ocean. Oh, great. So now we're in a location where you can't control the chemicals coming into the sea pen. You can't control the waves. You can't control the noise pollution. You can't control anything. And you're putting these animals who have been generationally built up over five generations in a zoologically filtered pool into an ocean where their their immune system isn't going to take that. People will say, I'm wrong. Go read Killing Keiko by Mark Simmons. And you can tell me I'm wrong all you want. That failed. And I don't want to see that happen to the rest of the population so that some people can feel like they won an argument. Mm-hmm. It's not reasonable. No, and exactly. And what happened with Keiko is about to happen again, possibly. Um, with Lolita, yeah. With Lolita, yeah. I yeah and I, it's killing me. I'm, I'm reading this and I'm just like, yes, I know, two names. Yeah. So special. But yeah. um, but but it's – and this this idea that um, you know Lolita's mother is out there where there's no actual scientific no. evidence of that. People have just decided that this old whale is uh, – Come on. <laughs> I love I love that you just said that because there was a whale a few years ago called Granny, right? They said it was over 100 years old. But the way that the people in the 70s did whale age off the coast of the boat was like, oh, that one must be 40 because it's got a kid with it and that one's got a kid with it. You don't know. No. They guessed. Yeah. And then we rode those numbers for a while. Realistically, killer whale lifespans uh, are about 30 to 35 for males and 60 for females. Corky in SeaWorld San Diego, 65 years old. She's past the lifespan. Uh, and the bulls at SeaWorld, San, at, sea, at SeaWorld Parks have outlived that too. Now, does, do things pass away early? Yes. Yeah. I have friends. I'm in my 30s. I have friends that passed away when uh-huh. I was a teenager. Yeah. Why? Accidents, medical. I didn't blame the house they lived in for it. So we have to realistically look at how life works. I was with Jack Hanna, which by the way, I love that man. Former, men, uh, former mentor, still mentor. Nice. I love you, Jack. He was on TV and he was asked, Jack, I'll never forget this. What's the percentage of animals that will die at the Columbus Zoo? And he looked at her puzzled and said, 100% of them. <laughs> He's not wrong. And she was like, she, she felt like she had him. Right, like she got, right. Yes, I got my Pulitzer Prize winning award. <laughs> and then he responded with, and what percentage of the people working in this studio will pass away one day? <laughs> it's also 100%. So when you skew the questions and skew the data to just get the answer you want, that's that's not science and it's not it's not journalism. And so anyone out there listening to that you already have good taste, you listen to this podcast, so I know you have good uh, good head on your shoulders. 
please do your research. And I promise you, these people that work with the animals even today aren't doing anything to harm them. They try to constantly make their lives better. They think about ways to enrich them even when they're at home. Uh, There's innovative ways to do it. But if you, the naysayer, keep handcuffing these facilities and making them jump through more hoops that cost more money, that take away from habitat and enrichment improvements, you are the problem, not the animal care workers or the animal care facilities. Yep, absolutely. And talk to people, people who are directly, I mean, that's how, like, I already loved zoos. I already did my research um, and also went to some non-accredited zoos early on and was like, oh, oh, there's, okay, there's a difference. Um, But like, like I said, the reason I started this podcast was because I started talking to keepers. And even the most wallflowerish keeper, when you start talking about their job or their animals, suddenly becomes loquacious. Yeah. And, you know, you can find out. You can hear the stories. You can hear the passions. They will tell you what they feed the animals, how they take care of the animals, what they're trained for. They'll brag about it. I mean, people are proud of what they have gotten, you know, an Andean bear to do or whatever. And, well, when you and, spend you more know, of yeah. your life doing it than you do at home. Right, yeah. It's exactly. all you can talk about. Yeah, and they don't talk back like your kids. <laughs> <laughs> you better not talk back, kids. You hear me? <laughs> but yeah, I, thank you for for all of that. That was just so I, That was insightful. a tangent. I apologize. No, that we, I'm the tangent king. Trust me, this is this fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, plus, I love talking the SeaWorld thing because it's like, of all the controversy, it's the controversy. The amount of yeah. people I, I talk to who love zoos, love aquariums, know the AZA, and think SeaWorld is evil because of blackfish is astonishing to me. Fortunately, it's an easy conversation to have at this point. I've done my research. I know it's up. Yeah. But it's astonishing that that stupid thing still lives on. I uh, I was driving to work one day, and there was a, a PETA protester outside the the front gates of SeaWorld San Antonio with a sign that says um, free Tillicum. But he lived in Orlando at the time. So I just thought it was an odd sign to have in San Antonio, <laughs> San Antonio Park. But she's her, her and her friends have these signs that say whales are in prison next to her chained, not leashed chained to a stop sign is her dog. No sun July in South Texas, no water, no shade, no nothing full sun for this dog. And I'm thinking that dog's the one that needs a protester right now to at least put a sign over him. So it, it blows my mind that people that feel like they have a good idea of animal standards would just do that to a dog right there in front of us while yeah. calling out something they have no idea about. <laughs> That's when I knew that this was not a war that we could win. It's a war that we just had to be like, yeah, I mean, sure. I always wanted to take water bottles out to the protesters, but my park leadership would never let me do it. <laughs> Recycled water bottles. So they stopped leaving their trash, which they often left after oh, protests. I love that. They would leave plastic and trash pollution all over the protest site. But every they're time. saving the environment. But they're Come saving on. the environment. Anyway, <laughs> Amazing. I digress. Anyway, so yes, so you worked at SeaWorld. I did. And it was incredible. It was incredible. And what would, what would be your favorite like experience that you had there, story? You know? Oh my gosh. You all of to, them. There's got to be more context. Like, do you want an animal story? Do you want a people story? I always want animal stories. Oh boy. Okay. I so like them. Here's people? an animal story and a people story kind of mixed together. Because it's, and I did Animal Ambassadors. I did Sea Lion uh, Stadium. So Sea Lion shows. I did Discovery Point, Dolphin and Interactions. I worked at the Penguin Encounter. I worked with Flamingos. I did shows at the Killer Whale Stadium. I helped with husbandry procedures with belugas and killer whales and other animals. So I have a lot of animal experience. But the best thing I've ever done was my last um, last time I did a hospital visit when I was with the Animal Ambassador Team. See, I was in the, on the Animal Ambassador Team back in the day. We would travel 
to different cities around the country with animals, penguins, wallabies, television shows, whatever we go do. Uh, and I always made it a point to go to a children's hospital. As I was signing off from the animal ambassador team and moving over to Dolphin, my wife and I had just had two kids and I didn't want to be on the road anymore. And I wanted to be home more. So I, we got a request that there was a young man dying in the hospital. He had a rare form of skin cancer. Uh, and his dying wish was to meet a penguin. So they gave us the request. And I remember saying to my boss, uh, who also has a child currently fighting cancer. So we love you, Luke. Um, he said, we have to make this thing special. So he got Elmo to come with us. We got a wallaby. We got two penguins. And nice. We got, um, what else did I take with me? Something else fluffy. Uh, <laughs> and we, we went to the hospital. Elmo is in the back seat of a 15 passenger van. We've got the penguins with us and it's heartbreaking. You know, they, they, the doctors tell us, Hey, you can choose to go in there without. Um, but we recommend that you put on full mask, full hood, full suit, full gloves. And all I kept thinking was the last vision this kid had was going to be me suited up. And I said, are the animals going to have to suit up? And the doctor's like, no, they'll be fine. I was like, well, then I'll be fine too. I went in there in polo and slacks uh, with this, with the animals. And the young man had not spoken in six weeks. He was so swollen. He couldn't move the lips. His skin had turned black from the infection of the cancer. By the way, he's seven years old. His mom sitting by his side, every bit of it. He hasn't eaten. He won't speak to her. He can only communicate through blinking. It is a heartbreaking moment. I, oh, I had a parrot with me. Uh, her name is Susie uh, and the penguins. We walked the penguins into the room, and I don't want to get emotional, and then I put Susie on the edge of the bed, and she walked over like a parrot does, right to his head, and she went, Hi. Which she greeted everyone like that. <laughs> he crackled his voice to say hi. Mom loses it. She's bawling. <laughs> the doctors are bawling. I'm bawling. It's so hard. Um, and I'm like, well, this kid wants to meet a penguin. So we put the penguins in his lap. And almost as though the animals knew, they laid down on his lap. Oh, my gosh. And he is t- he's moving. He's touching them. His hands hurt. Um, his mom tells him she loves him. He says, I love you. It's so hard to watch. Then Elmo walks in. Kids immediately lit up. So when people say, oh, you can't have entertainment and animals, they can just go straight to the bowels of Hades. <laughs> this meant something to them. Elmo sits on the couch. The doctors lift him up and put him on the couch. And he's able to hold himself up with some assistance. He, he just lays on Elmo as in love. The penguins are back in his lap. He's having the time of his life. We did that for about an hour. People are coming and going and, and he's talking. He's asking us questions about the animals. Now it's not beautiful speech, but I'm able to have a conversation with him. That was powerful. Even more so two days later when we found out he passed away. That, that hurts. Yeah, But wow. the power of wildlife, um, I'm sorry. No, I get it. I'm tearing up. <laughs> uh, gave him gave him a last bit of hope. And that's why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love animals. I love conservation. And I love people. And uh, all that happened at the height of the Blackfish controversy. 
Wow. When we couldn't even uh, go outside with our logos on <laughs> without getting ridiculed, but we didn't care. It was this kid. So yeah, that's my favorite story. And it's one that it's hard to tell, but it's the power of, of, of wildlife. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. That's probably my favorite thing I've heard on this podcast, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's amazing. And no, but it's, and it is, it's so real. And it's so for, for all of us on different levels. When I went to say goodbye to my grandfather recently, and now I'm going to do it because he got me all emotional. <laughs> no, sorry. But no, but I went and I, I held his hand and I talked to him and I said goodbye. Yeah. And I walked out that door and I wasn't ready to leave, but I knew that if I left when I was, I could get to the Ross Park Zoo in time to see the red pandas before yeah. it closed. And I knew that if I didn't do that, the rest of the night was going to be utter crap for me. Yeah. And I did. And I drove and it was a blur and I was crying and I was sad. And then I got to the zoo and, and there was Mimi and, there, you know, and, and everything was okay again. And, and so I totally understand what you're saying. And it was, I remember I was texting Zoe, my fiance and, and, you know, Poppy was out of it. He was, yeah. I was talking to his body at that point, you know? And, and I was like, I, I think I need to leave and go to a zoo. And she was like, yes, yes, you do. And I don't think a lot of people would understand that. No. If anything, anyone listening to this podcast who wasn't into animals would think I'm an ass for saying, <laughs> I, I got to go visit the zoo. <laughs> but, but, but I, I really had to do it. And it really made a difference in that day. And, you know, I had a long drive ahead of me and stuff. I was in a much better emotional place. I was safer driving. You know, I can't, yeah. Animals are incredible. It's the power of wildlife. And that could, could have asked for anything. And that's what he wanted. And by God, that's what we were going to give him. Heck yeah. And I have that kind of story. That's, that's the most powerful one. Sadly, I have dozens and dozens of those moments where we were one of the last things they wanted and we gave it to him. And here's what's beautiful. You all can't go search that online and find a video. Right. We're not some sappy PR push out there. That is something between my, my eyes and their eyes. We didn't do it for a PR reason. But don't you think at the height of a controversy, that story would do you some good? Oh, yeah. Yeah. SeaWorld didn't care. You guys could have sold that. I mean, that would have been huge. Cares who cares about it? It's that's more awesome. for the family. And that's what I want people to learn about. My former home. I, and and I, there's always a chance to go home. I didn't leave home and never want to come back. But I think it was time for a change. So in 2021, I hung up the wetsuit and the whistle and and uh, I still go, I have my season passes. I still nice, go visit. Nice. I see all my friends. It was a very, very nice exit, but an, an exit that I felt like needed to happen. You ever watch Seinfeld? Uh, a little bit. Not, yeah. not all. Yeah. When Seinfeld went off the air, they had the highest ratings ever. Yeah. And that's when I wanted to go. Right. Yeah. When yeah. my ratings were high. Yeah. No, I totally get that. And that's kind of what I did. But that's that awesome. moment with that child is, that one's burnt. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's move on from SeaWorld. Sorry, pivoting. Let's stop crying. No, that was, yeah, pivot. Fish <laughs> you. <laughs> but, um, so, so did you go right to Abilene after that? Or yeah, so, I mean, I know we have pivot off of SeaWorld, but during my last few years at SeaWorld, I, my kids had been older. I had, uh, I'd watched them on YouTube. Uh, they'd scroll through YouTube and they were watching videos of people like getting chased by alligators and dumb viral videos. Right. And that's how they were learning about wildlife. And I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> so I created my own YouTube show called The Wild Side with Clay, where I was going to zoos, talking about their conservation work, their animals. And then I decided to start going to conservation project in the field and do the same thing. In that process, the Abilene Zoo uh, was trying to get a spring break event off the ground and they needed kind of like a, a show. So they asked if I would kind of do 
a version of my YouTube show, but live. I took some time off from SeaWorld, went up to Abilene for the, for the spring break. I had a friend of mine who has a, re- a rescue company with exotic wildlife, former pets. He came with me, supported me with wildlife. We did a show and it was a huge success. Uh, they saw record, record attendance and I was blown away at the response from the people. And that's when the conversation kind of started was maybe I can do what I do somewhere else. And Abilene had an interest, but they didn't have any positions for me. Um, just the way the stars aligned, however, um, a few people ended up quitting at the Abilene Zoo or moving on to other roles. Um, and that was the director of education and the person in charge of marketing. Um, my wife had been laid off from SeaWorld for 15 years because of COVID cuts. So she's spinning her wheels. Um, I'm looking for a change because I feel like it's time. So we applied and they had very high interest in us going. It wasn't a hard sell. Um, we negotiated. We got a good deal. Nice. My wife is now the director of education for the Abilene Zoo. And I came into this marketing role. And I'd be honest, I didn't want to do marketing. But they told me, oh, don't worry. There'll be animals part of it. They didn't lie. Because as I alluded to earlier, my life is still pretty wild with animals and behavior. But yeah, I've got to approve some billboards and some digital ads from time to time. And I think it's odd that I don't have a marketing degree right. or anything of that nature. But I am a marketer and PR person. And you can market things you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. My friend, I am a drummer, but I'm also now a conservation educator. So yeah, <laughs> I always love to say whenever I don't understand something that's said yeah. on the pot, I'm like, remember, I'm a drummer, please. Yeah. So yeah, no, you just, you do the thing. And if you're passionate, you make it happen. And you, you, you do make the thing. it happen. And yeah. that's what we're doing. That's yeah. what we're doing in Abilene. That's even what we did here for the podcast. We wanted to record this episode and we didn't have a place. And so the two of us are both type A personalities. <laughs> we go down to the desk, we get some room <laughs> unlocked where, you know, you just, you make it happen. We, we, we met up and we figured it out. Like, yeah. I love that kind of thing. And that's what so many conservationists are. Yeah. They, they, they get in there and they get it done yeah. and they, they take on roles that they don't know what they're doing. And they just make things work. And I think that's the beauty of it. I don't need a piece of paper from a university to tell me how to how to market a zoo and conservation. I do that. Yeah. So I just need to do that formally. Yeah. No, I love that. So you started this YouTube thing. And, oh, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, you're, you're still going with it. it yeah. It's not gone just because you're at the zoo. So talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. So that was part of the pitch. I was like, hey, I don't want to stop this YouTube thing. If I And SeaWorld was fine with it. I just never could say I worked for SeaWorld right. when I did that. And that was fine. Uh, is I wanted it to be my thing anyway. Uh, there was some talk of bringing that brand into SeaWorld, but they wanted control, creative control, and I, right. didn't, I didn't want to give it up. So yeah. we just kept it separate. Uh, when I got to the zoo, they said, you can still do it if you say your base camp is the Abilene Zoo. I was like, that's all I have to do? Uh, and their hope is people will come visit me at the Abilene right, Zoo. Yeah. And I hope you come visit me there. Great. I do have my base camp at the Abilene Zoo. Uh, so this YouTube thing is, is going strong. I, t- I usually take some time off in the summers to to get new recordings in or to just be with my family for a bit. We kick back up now. Uh, we're starting to put out new episodes again. Um, but yeah, if people want to go with my exploits, I'm trying to have a, a an episode per species. So that's crazy. That's my goal is a new uh, an episode per species where you can just sit down for five minutes or so uh, and learn about wildlife. And if we go to a conservation project, it takes you a little little bit of a longer episode to learn about their research. Uh, I've partnered with such great uh, organizations as the Abilene Zoo or uh, San Antonio Zoo. Texas State Aquarium has hosted me. Um, I've also gone to conservation projects like the Texas Marine Mammal Strain Network, the University of Texas Marine Science Institute, uh, Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center, the Amazon River Dolphin Foundation, uh, Ant Eaters and Highways in Brazil. 
uh, Bat Conservation International, uh, which is an international organization. But um, <laughs> I've partnered with those organizations, too, to make content for them. So I have had some really good partners. And then some smaller uh, unaccredited facilities that have an awesome species and awesome message. They just don't have the money for accreditation of the facility. So I work with them, too, like Zoo Imagination, Once in a Wild, Happy Tail. Um, and then I highlight inverts through people like Critterville who have a bunch of weird-looking, creepy crazy. Right, right. Yeah. So people can learn about species through me, learn about conservation. And I balance that and the zoo life all at the same time. But, yeah, there have been a lot more animals from the Abilene Zoo highlighted lately because <laughs> if, you know, oh, man, I need an episode this week. Well, there's lions. Okay, I'll go through do that. It's right. kind of a nice perk yeah. to have content all around you. And this is why y'all are expanding. <laughs> I get, you just need more fodder I for just, <laughs> This is why the expansions come in. You new episodes. <laughs> oh, if only it were awesome. that easy. So, um, you know, you mentioned something way back and then we got all emotional, but I, uh, I yeah. had, yeah, I had a very important question for you. Mm-hmm. So back when you were, you know, working at SeaWorld yeah. and you started experiencing husbandry stuff. So you're working with, you know, you're getting yeah. lemur poop and eventually, you know, cetacean poop and all that stuff, <laughs> right? What was grosser, that or the cotton candy that would get hot and fall on the seats that you had to clean up? The cotton candy. Yeah, I had the feeling. <laughs> back in those days, uh, we were owned by Anheuser Bush, and if he was coming, we had just, I'm not kidding the Shamu stadium, killer whale stadium, orca stadium, whatever you call it now, it seats 5,000 people. I would have to lay on my belly on the bench and hand scrub and bleach all inches <laughs> of the floor. Oh no. So yeah, that's grosser. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of fit. Plus you never know when you're going to find a dirty diaper or some puke. Oh God. All right. Yeah. Which oh, it's still, no matter how many salt water you deal covered, with, Puke. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't even think of that because of the splash zone. Yeah, that makes sense. I was gonna say, but, but regardless, I, it's always grosser when it's human. Even, I don't know why. Yeah, I know it makes no sense. It's disgusting when it's human. It's so disgusting. Give me walrus poop or sea lion poop any day. Yeah, no. yeah, absolutely. Um, so awesome. I am. I'm blown away by all of this. It, it, you're doing such cool work, and I'm I'm really impressed with it. I'm glad that we've met up here and and randomly. Yeah, I know. Maybe we can partner on some stuff uh, down the road. I would love that. Um, but so let's talk a little bit more about just a few of the animals currently at the zoo. Yeah, I love it. That are like the rock stars. Okay. Yeah. So we actually have a giant giraffe herd and we have two new babies, McKenna, who was born on June 24th. And then we have an unnamed male calf who was born on, was it, is this, we're in August? No, we're in, we're in we August. Just hit September? It was August 13th. Nope. Uh, it was it's yeah. August 31st right well, now. He, so yeah. yeah. Okay. So, he was yeah. born on August 13th. Um, and they're little rock star animals. Uh, McKenna means happiness uh, in Swahili, and she runs like all over the place. She's gorgeous. <laughs> and then the male, uh, he's kind of unsure of things. He's kind of more, I guess he's like an introverted giraffe. Um, so he is yet to be named, but we'll be naming him soon on the Abilene social media uh, platforms. Uh, so they're, they're two of our big rock stars right now. Um, we also have, again, we go back to Macho, the black rhino. We have Sonrice, the jaguar, a, a boating male jaguar looking for a, a bow or so. Uh, new baby capybaras. Oh, my gosh. They are so Baby capies are the best. We have baby capies. Mario yeah. and Daisy gave nice. birth. Nice. To, uh, Daisy did to five. So I know two of their names are Yoshi and Luigi. Yes, that's we also incredible. Have, uh, we also have Boo and Toad. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> you realize you have some controversy here, though. If Mario was with Daisy instead yeah. of with Peach. That's, yeah. Well, whew. Peach Peach hasn't given birth yet. Okay. Peach is in there. Okay. Okay. Uh, I guess he has his shot with Peach, <laughs> but Peach hasn't had any babies. Uh, she always, right around the same time that Daisy gets pregnant, Peach also gets pregnant. And then you're like, oh, they're both pregnant. 
And then it turns out that Peach has nothing in there. She oh, just like, has sympathy fat or something. <laughs> um, and then she loses the weight. It's really weird. Huh. Um, but yeah, so we have the whole Mario family. We even have one called Kong. We have to dip nice, into that. Nice, very cool. Um, and then we have our reptiles. We have a, a twenty, uh, sorry, a sixteen foot long king cobra uh, named Walter. He's quite old, um, but if you go on the zoo social media, you can actually see how we give Walter a physical, pull him out of the habitat, anesthetize him, check him out. Um, being that I'm over social media for the zoo. You know, you hear a lot of times with zoos, oh, we don't want to show that it's too medical or we don't want to show that it's too behind the scenes. The Abilene Zoo is the opposite. We show you everything. When COVID hit and we needed to get vaccines to the animals, I videoed us giving vaccines out to the primates. Nice. Um, when Macho, the black rhino, has a physical, I videoed what it looks like to take blood from a rhino. Uh, when an animal goes into the hospital, I show you that because realistically, we want to paint a, we want to paint a visitation picture. But we're also have a, a, a fiduciary, right? Um, obligation to the public to teach the next generation about what it means to be in the zoo. So I want to show those kids that want to be zoo vets. This is what you got to do. Mm-hmm. You want to be an animal care person. This is what it's going to look like. So we're painting a realistic picture, and that resonates really well with our audience. They like the the. We're so transparent. We're living in a glass house. I love that. That's the thing I push for all the time, in part because it means I get to go in and, yeah. and see the animals and do the thing. But no, all joking aside, I truly like one of the things I'm proudest of with Ross Safari is that I am an outsider that comes in. And yeah. if you give me that access, that means you're being transparent. I encourage transparency. And I've I've had podcast episodes used uh, in AZA reaccreditation hearings and stuff because you can do a media thing. And it's like I'm part of the media and I'm proof that I'm coming in there and went behind the scenes and did oh, all this stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. Congratulations you know? so, to you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's such a – transparency is everything with, with zoos right now. And yeah. I also think, you know, hindsight, but Blackfish wouldn't have happened if there was already so yeah. much awareness – of what was happening behind the scenes. Now, I don't think SeaWorld did anything wrong. It was a different time. We didn't have the social media. There wasn't a way to put it all out there. But Blackfish today would just fall into misinformation more easily because you can go on the social media and see what's happening and you can see behind the scenes and you can talk to the people and, you know, hear them. And and I just, I think it's a different world now. It's interesting that you say that because sometimes I feel like if it were released today, it would be worse. Interesting. Because the social media is less trustworthy today. So a lie 10 years ago went where it went. Right. A lie today can change can change leadership in countries. I, I mean, mean, you're not wrong. It's yeah. huge. I feel like, I guess the way, I guess you're right. And I think the better way to say it is that it would have had less of a damaging effect on people who are able to discern and think critically, like you said, but would have also had, like you said, more of an effect on probably the people who are impressionable. uh, Yes. That's a great word. Uh, It it is interesting that we live in a, in a, in a society where social media is our best friend and it is our worst enemy. Um, But I do believe that if the, if zoos and aquariums 10 years ago would have been as transparent as they are today, the storm would have been weathered a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in the day, we couldn't even tell you what the dolphins' names were or the penguins' names were. We had to say Pete and Penny. Uh, and now I'm like, oh, that's so-and-so. I'll tell you their name. Yeah. And if you think back to your zoo experiences, how many times did you go to the zoo as a kid and you knew the animal's name right out? Like, you had to usually have to find someone and then maybe they tell you, maybe they wouldn't. Right. Or the yeah. birthday of the animal. And zoos are a lot more transparent today. And I think that's great. It wasn't 
it wasn't that we were doing anything wrong. I think there was just this like front of house, back of house mentality. Mm -hmm. And I think I really want to blame the mouse for that one. Disney really showed you how a park should be run. Like the guests should see one thing and then the employees should see the other. But I think when it comes to animals, I think those lines need to be blurred a lot more. Yeah. And I think that what SeaWorld and zoos and aquariums have done today is amazing. You can go behind the scenes on a tour. You can go behind the scenes virtually on a, a Facebook Live or mm -hmm. Zoom. Um, there's opportunities to see those things. And I want to see those opportunities pushed further. I would love for an organization to take us live on a rescue. Having seen those things, having seen some of the wounds that come through, I think it would change the public's idea on we need to be in the wild. They need to be in the wild. Right. In the wild because right. you're going to find out the injuries that come out of the wild are not where you want to be. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. Um, I, we already talked about uh, Save the Vaquita, but are there any other conservation organizations you'd like to oh, give a shout out to? Oh, my gosh. So many. Um, my first one was I, I traveled to Zimbabwe, Africa, and I worked with Painted Dog Conservation. So I've got to give it to the OGs in my conservation book, uh, PaintedDog.org. Painted Dog Conservation helps to rescue the most endangered carnivore on the continent of Africa, the African wild dog. They also call it the Painted Dog. Uh, also called uh, uh, by the locals, they have like 12 or 13 different names, tribal names for them. Uh, <laughs> it really is something. But uh, that organization operates in Zimbabwe. I spent uh, about six weeks with them uh, doing tracking the animals' movements and also public education. So if you would like to learn more, go to PaintedDog.org. And if you're looking for something local, I got to give a shout out to the University of Texas Marine Science Institute's Amos Rehabilitation Keep. That's the thing. It's run by the university, but um, they need public funding. Uh, they rescue, rehabilitate marine birds and sea turtles. And this year alone, 2022, they've rescued over 170 loggerhead sea turtles. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I went down and covered it in one of my YouTube episodes, as I try to do when they have those big events to help them get funding. Um, but uh, they're inundated with these giant loggerheads. Uh, and what they're finding is the loggerheads are coming in malnourished. I mean, there's no fish in the Gulf of Mexico. So that's happening right now. Uh, oh, I shouldn't, shouldn't say fish. Fish are part of it, but mostly the sargasm and and and, and grazing opportunities for the for the sea turtles. Um, the blooms are gone too. Right, right. Yeah. You need the fish for that to happen. So, those two organizations: one international painted dog conservation, and one local uh, University of Texas Marine Science Institute. You can just look up the Amos Rehabilitation Keep, named after Tony Amos, who passed away, but he was a great Texan conservationist. Nice. Love it. And where can people find all of your stuff, the zoo and the YouTube and all the things just, I'll walk away. Tell me when you're done. <laughs> Google, uh, <laughs> just Google me. Uh, if honestly, if you just search the wild side with clay, uh, you'll, my stuff will pop up. You can contact me through my YouTube channel or any of my social channels. You can search the wild side with clay on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, I'm not on Snapchat. I don't know how to use that one. Uh, and of course on YouTube. And of course, please go follow and like the Abilene Zoo. You'll see me on there very frequently. And if you're in Texas listening to this, drive out to Abilene. Even if you're not in Texas, drive out to Abilene, especially over as we evolve the next 10 years or so. Nice. I love it. And then last thing. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. Uh, with the poop itself? Or? <laughs> no, 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 no. That would become my poop story. Poop story. <laughs> okay, I've got a fun poop story. Poop story. Actually, I'm going to tell you two because I have tons of poop stories. Poop story. So even if I come back, I got more of them. Uh, first poop story. Poop story. Is red rough lemurs 
I am, I've been told that Miss Universe would like to meet an animal. I am elated. <laughs> Miss Universe is now joined by Miss America. They're out front at this booth in Las Vegas. <laughs> They'd like to meet some animals. Clay, do you mind grabbing the lemur and introducing them? Talk about the critical endangered se- uh, species. Talk about the plight of Madagascar. Maybe they can use a platform to talk about the conservation of the island. You got it. I run to the back. I check myself in a little mirror thing. I'm about to meet this universe. I wonder if she's doing dinner later tonight. Like, get the lemur out. As I'm walking through the curtain, lemur just unloads poop. Just And if you've never seen lemur poop, it looks like if you throw oatmeal and fruit into a blender. And then just. And then add a little bit of water. And then pour it out before it's not real, not solidified. Just let it ooze out of you. That's a really, really good it's, description. It's oatmeal, basically. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just covered in it. And they start laughing at me. And, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. So I, I give them my back so they can touch the lemur and I can talk without looking at the poop. Because I'm just like pushing through. And I smell. And they're like visibly disgusted by the smell. Well, as I give them my back, the lemur decides to pee down my back. <laughs> So I've got pee down my back and poop down my front. And yeah, that was pretty terrible. That yeah. was absolutely terrible. So that was a poop story. Poop story. On me. That's a good one. And if That's the Miss one. Universe who was reigning in 2014 remembers that, please reach out to the podcast. Um, and did you still shoot your shot? Were you still like, so uh, No, I walked away. <laughs> I walked away. There's no, re- there's no recovery from no, that. No, yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm in the friend zone after that. I'm just the poop guy. Um Southwest Airlines was debuting a penguin plane. They, were, they had rebranded the killer whale planes, and they were doing these new penguin planes. Uh, they didn't last long. but uh, <laughs> They know penguins can't fly, right? No, this is really bad um, branding. <laughs> they, wanted to, they wanted to christen the plane with this big ceremony. So the plan was every executive from Southwest was going to ride the penguin plane from San Antonio to um, San Diego this big thing and it's gonna be gorgeous so they sneak us onto the tarmac so that when the plane arrives it looks like the penguins just flew in so we would walk off the jet bridge and we'd be the first thing the media saw so the 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 inside of the plane's covered in plastic smells amazing i've never been in a new plane had that new plane smell (laughs) they sneak us onto the tarmac and up the jet bridge so we can look like we're coming out of the plane for the first time they the captain was like uh, you can take the penguins out, but this floor cannot get dirty. So if you want to take them out, like up the bridge a bit, that that would probably help. I didn't listen. <laughs> no. And I was like, no, I got to clean the penguins up. I can't just leave them. I let them out in the first class cabin. Uh, and they come out, they like shake their feathers. It's like really cute. And I'm, I turned around to clean something in the kennel and I hear. <laughs> and I look at the brand new plane. And up the first class aisle, about a quarter of the way, is the length of this giant penguin poop shot. And if you've never seen penguin poop, let me tell you about it. It shoots out like liquid chalk, and it stays there. (laughs) So I'm with the supervisor of aviculture, and I'm like, Bob, I need you to cover for me. Um, Just like tell them that I'm tying my shoe. I was in slip-on, so I don't know if they would believe that. And he takes the penguins to take pictures with the crew. And you can see the captain's like trying to see behind Bob, and I'm like, dodging and i've got a wet wipe and i'm scrubbing the floor (laughs) vigorously vigorously and i get i get most of it off because it's kind of wet but there's just one spot that's also got the black part of the penguin poop Uh in it uh just gooey and it's like seeping in so i go okay it's not coming up 
then it's got to go in. So I start shoving the poop <laughs> to like get deeper into the carpet. And then the carpet was spackled, you know, it was like dark blue with some dark tones to it. So I tried to make it just look like it was part of the floor. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the captain finally breaks through Bob and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I was shining my shoes. And I had the, I had the wipe and my, and the, and the wipe is green from all the poop. And I was like, oh yeah, I stepped in something. It's fine. I made sure it wasn't on the carpet. And he's like, okay, good. Cause this has to look good. Cause it's like the president is going to sit right there, right next to the poop spot. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then we walk up the jet bridge and I thought it was going to be like, you know, 10 people, whatever. There's literally a full flight of executives and sponsors waiting to get on this plane. There's this big press conference. There's news cameras everywhere. I'm smiling and sweating, knowing what I've done inside the plane. Like I'm panicking. Um, uh, our SeaWorld San Antonio park president at the time, Dan, uh, was like, everything good in the plane? Like he leaned over and asked me. I was like, yeah, just don't sit in row two. Like, <laughs> like. Anyway, luckily, when they all go down, we kind of followed with them. I put my foot over the spot that was kind of where they were entering in that second row. It's like, come on in, everyone. Yeah, the penguins are here. Ha, ha. I covered it until we could get off the plane, and then I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't think they ever blamed us. Now they will. Hi, Southwest Airlines. Thanks for sponsoring the podcast <laughs> until today. But yeah, that's my poop story. Poop story. Vigorously that's... trying to hide poop on a brand new plane. Those are uh, ridiculous and amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Of course. Thank you too. I'm sure we could go further into personal people development and coaching, but you know, your, your listeners got to get to work. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk again. We'll make that happen. <laughs> Thanks, <man>. <laughs> <sighs> Wasn't that an awesome interview? I am so thankful to Clay for sharing all of that incredible stuff, the humor, the, the passion, the, the joy and the sorrow. I, uh, I needed that one, y'all. That was really cool. That actually might have been my single favorite moment at the AZA conference, which is really saying something because that conference was incredible. So Clay has a bunch of different links that you can check out for the zoo and for his uh, his videos and everything. So I'm going to put those all in the show notes. So make sure you please go check those out and subscribe and watch and follow and and fall in love with this amazing human as, as I did. And um, I'd like to take a minute to say thanks to my red panda level patron, Lara Shank. And uh, remember y'all, the word Steiderk backwards is credits. Gotcha. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.